Matthew 22. You can stand with me and honor God's word, please. We're going to be in Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. That's just a great phrase right there, isn't it? They were like, ah, Sadducees got beat. Let's see what we can do. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great, command, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And with all your mind, this is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. Saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. And he said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. God bless the reading of his word. His word's awesome, isn't it? All right, let's have a seat. Let's get into it. Uh, this message that we're in, this series that we're in right now, is uh, on a, a people following Christ. And what we're doing, a reminder, we started last week, we're tracking the early days of Christ and those who were followers of Christ and the teachings of Jesus so that we hear from him what it actually means to be a follower of Christ. And when we look at what it means to be a functioning member of the body of Christ and membership in the body, that's not just a thing about a piece of paper here at church. It means that we're a part of a living organism of people who are following Jesus. And so we're trying to look back at the scriptures and say, what does it actually look like to be a follower of Christ? And so last week we talked about, uh, is it about calling? Coffee and donuts, or is it about bread and wine? Um, and so, uh, is that is it about hanging out and having a good time together and enjoying some teaching, or is it a life that's rooted in brokenness and and His presence with us in the midst of our brokenness? And uh, so that's what we talked about last week. This week, we're talking about humble minds think alike, and largely what we're talking about today is the mental side of following Christ. And I am kind of mental. And I think many of us kind of are. And we need to have the Lord speaking to us about like, man, our heads get messed up. What does it mean for our minds to be followers of you? And so that's where we're at today. Now, there's a stripe in the Christian faith in, in, in Christendom that has a hard time reconciling two teachers in the New Testament. There are two primary teachers in the New Testament. Do you know who these are? There's a lot of teachers, but there's two who are like the big standout teachers. Do you know who they are? Paul and Jesus. They're the ones who we hear their voices the most across the pages of the New Testament. And so we have a number of of, uh, gospels who are written by other people who reiterate the words of Christ. But Paul on his own brings a huge amount of teaching, his own teaching. Okay, so we hear Christ through the four Gospels, and then we hear reflection on Christ's teachings, and then after that, there's all the letters written to all the churches, and most of that is done by Paul. There's a few other ones scattered in there, but those are the two, uh, two primary voices. Now, there is a stripe in the Christian faith that has a hard time reconciling the teachings of Jesus with the teachings of Paul. 
Why? Because when Jesus teaches, so much of what Jesus teaches about is extremely practical. It's very, very practical. Jesus is like, if someone asks you to carry something for him this far, I want you to carry it double that. If someone hits you on this cheek, what I want you to do is turn this cheek. I mean, this is God of the universe. You know, the deepest thinker in the world, right here, Jesus. But so much of his teaching is just very, very basic, practical stuff. And then the stuff that isn't practical is totally cloaked and hidden in these stories and these parables. Whereas Paul gives us like very religious teaching, theological, doctrinal teaching. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of that sin is death. However, the gift of God is eternal life. There is no one righteous, not even one. Whoa, that's going to get bad. There is no one righteous, not even one. If you have offended the law in one part, you're guilty of the entire law. I do all the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do. Oh, what a wretched man I am. Who can save me from this flesh that I live in? Thanks be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, so on and so forth. All of that is teaching, doctrinal teaching from Paul. And typically what can happen, the the, the reason that there's a tension is while Paul is talking religiously, doctrinally, and Jesus seems to be talking uh, very practically, there's this tension of like, when we hear Paul, we typically hear the words of the gospel, our understanding of the message of the gospel, which has to do with Christ's atoning blood for us on a cross and our entrance into a relationship with God and an eternity into heaven. Whereas when Jesus is there, he doesn't talk a whole lot about that, does he? Jesus really doesn't spend much of his time talking about the atoning blood. Jesus doesn't talk ever, it doesn't see, very, very rarely does he talk about anything that would remotely sound like us having a sinner's prayer in order to enter into a relationship. Almost everything that Jesus is talking about is about how we live our lives. And so there's this tension for some about how do these two fit? Because is it like, is my Christian life about trying to practice the teachings of Jesus? Or is it about submitting to the beliefs that Paul is laying out here? And for much of that stripe of Christianity, it's based on a basic understanding about what religion is in general. And there's this sense that religion is about a set of academic doctrines that we subscribe to. Creeds, as it were. You know? And that if I have my doctrine clear in a creed and I subscribe to that, that defines my faith. That defines the religion. And what can happen in that, if that's all that the faith is, is that we can start to get a picture that God is like some sort of cosmic uh, professor. Let's say he's a cosmic professor who's grading our theology paper to see how well we're doing. And if we do good enough, then God gives us an attaboy. And if we get right enough at the core things, then we get an entrance into heaven. And that what God is doing is grading our theology paper. And that our job is to make sure that we get our theology right. That's one thing about one perspective of religion in general, that it's about this set of beliefs versus this set of beliefs, and we kind of have an academic pursuit of those things. And then there's a tension between what you believe versus I believe. Jesus doesn't let us stay in that place because for Jesus, it's always practical. 
The doctrine always has to get to a very, very practical place in our lives. There's something more than that. And here's the problem is that, and there is a tension with that understanding of faith, is if it's, uh, if it's solely an academic pursuit of our doctrines, then there's this question about how much does getting the right answer actually bear fruit in my life? You know, I can have all the right answers about what the Bible says, and I can have all the right answers about uh, life and, 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 and the, the God answers, the Sunday school answers, all those things. But the real question underneath of it is what kind of effect has it had on my life? That's where the proof is. As a matter of fact, that's where we find the proof about who are false teachers and who are not false teachers. This is really about the fruit in their life. That's how we're told to gauge that. There is a kind of religion that has a form of godliness that says the right things, but it doesn't have the power underneath of it. And last week, we talked about that. If you were here last week, you remember that when Jesus showed up in Capernaum to give the message about the bread and the cup, where did he go to teach that? Anybody remember? The synagogue. Right. And so there's synagogue faith and there's temple faith. And synagogue faith, just for brief review, is when you have teaching, And you have fellowship and you try to work hard to embed the teaching in your life. But temple faith is where the presence of God dwells. And that there's atonement in my brokenness so I can enter into a living dynamic relationship with God. And so the kind that has the doctrinal answers right but doesn't actually engage in the presence of God. That's synagogue faith. And we can have synagogue faith and get the right answers, but it doesn't have the dramatic effect of the earlier followers of Jesus where you see the power of God working. So what is this thing about Jesus and Paul? How do you reconcile it? Like what's actually going on between these two guys? Well, Jesus, the good news is, is that Jesus is the king. And when Jesus shows up as the king, everything that he's talking about is a description of his kingdom. So this is kind of like Um, you know, as a parent comes into the home and talks about, like, these are the rules of the home. This is what life is like in this home. Well, okay, that's the parent setting up home. And Jesus, when he comes, he's setting up home. This is what life is like in my kingdom. I designed the whole thing. I designed the world. I'm describing to my people what it looks like to be in my home. And this is what life is like. And it's awesome if it works out right. And that's largely what he's describing. A generation later, after Jesus is gone, and Paul, a a follower, kind of one step out, is reflecting on Jesus. And those of us who didn't engage in the flesh with Jesus, he's describing Jesus to us, giving us doctrine about who God is based on looking at Christ, and then also helping us understand how do you enter into that kingdom. And when we start holding those two things together and realize that Paul is giving us commentary on who Jesus is and how he gives us entrance into the kingdom, there's this balancing thing that starts to happen where we start to realize Jesus doesn't only talk about practical things. He talks about some amazingly deep doctrinal issues. And Paul doesn't only talk about doctrine like he does in the, in the first you know, 10 chapters of Romans. Every letter almost, Paul gets to a place where he's real practically talking about how the church should relate to each other and how husbands and wives should relate to each other. And the thing is, is when we understand the whole gospel, it's not just a set of rules or a, a plan to get us to say a prayer so that we can check that off of our box. What's happening is, is that Jesus is describing life 
as God designed it. And Paul is helping us to see the king so we can enter into a relationship with the king and ultimately then become followers of the king who will embody the message of the kingdom and will start to look like the kingdom. So this doctrine thing, this whole thing about doctrine, what's the point of it? I mean, for some of us, I, I've heard people say all the time, like, I love God, um, and, and I try to follow God, but I don't really think about all that because I don't think that's really that important. And for some, there's love thinking about it and love to contemplate. But then when it comes to the practical, can really get lost in there. What's the doctrine piece all about? Well, of course, what doctrine is for is to reveal truth to us. Doctrine is to help us. The point is, our theology, our study of doctrine is to, is to understand truth. And why do we need to understand truth? Well, there's many, many reasons. But one primary reason is because when we understand truth, the truth can set us free. Right? So if we know the truth, really know the truth, then we can become free. But here's the caveat, and this is where this thing gets very real is that we tend to think of truth as sort of an abstract set of ideas out here. But that's not what truth is. What is truth? What is truth? Yeah, truth is defined for us in John chapter 14. I am the way, the truth in the life. What is truth? Jesus. Yes, Jesus is the truth. Jesus. There's a name for it. Truth starts with Jesus. In the beginning was the and the word was with God and the word was God. All things find their being in him. All things come from him and all things return to him. One plus one only equals two, not because it's true outside of God. It's only true because that's the way God made it. There's something about math and science that reflects the nature of God. But if you take God out of the equation, those things stop being true because there is no truth outside of God. In other words, we cannot know truth unless we know Jesus because there is no truth outside of Jesus. And so to know the truth, yes, we are informed of truth by our doctrine. But doctrine is not just an academic pursuit. Doctrine is about a relationship with God. It's the mental side of our relationship with God. It's the cerebral part of our relationship with God. So what is the central question in all of our doctrine? Every piece of doctrine at its core should push us back to one single question that all other questions come from. One basic thing that it seeks to answer. There are so many big questions out there, but it starts with answering one simple question. Anybody know what it is? Who is God? And the answer to that is, Jesus, who is God? Why do I exist? What's the big point of it all? What's the purpose in life? Where did I come from? Where are we headed? What's the future? Why is there pain and suffering in this world? Why death? What's going on? What's the grand story? Creation, fall, redemption, uh, restoration, all of it. 
first comes back to a very simple question. Who is God? That's why we have this thing called theology. And what does theology mean? The study of God. Who is God? If I'm going to have a living, dynamic relationship with God, then my doctrine must be a pursuit of knowing God. And if I'm going to have a relationship with God, I actually have to care about doctrine and about theology. I really do. I have to care because if I know, it doesn't mean that I have to read books on theology. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that we can't know God only with our hands and only with our hearts, but not also with our minds. It's a holistic thing, which is why in the passage that we just read, Jesus, man, he just takes these guys to school because what is happening with them? It's this crazy thing. First, I didn't read the story that came before it, but the Sadducees had just tried to trap Jesus. And they tried to trap Jesus. First, the Pharisees tried to trap him. What they didn't hear is it starts with the Pharisees and they try to trap Jesus about whether or not to pay taxes. Then the Sadducees jump into the equation and they try to trap Jesus on marriage and what's going to happen in the afterlife if you had multiple partners in this life. And then the Pharisees are like, oh, he got them good. And now they come back and they ask Jesus about the greatest commandment. Now notice, why is there this tension? Why is there a tension between them? Between the Pharisees and the Sadducees? What do you think is the source of the tension? Okay, the most basic answer is there's pride. And how's that pride manifesting for them? What are they competing for? Based on what? What do they think earns them favor in this situation? Their doctrine. Who's smarter? Who gets it more? And so they're testing Jesus because this guy obviously knows more than everyone else and they're trying to prove that he doesn't. And they're already in tension with one another, right? And they have a huge division between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Massive division between these two theological camps. You remember last week when Jesus said... Uh, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And it says, when they heard that, they began to grumble amongst one another. Not toward Christ, but toward one another. Why? Because he was breaking up the religious system that says, if I understand things okay, then I am okay. But here's the news flashes. I can understand things great, but not be okay. There was people in the Spanish Inquisition who had a real good corner on the doctrine. And they wanted to make sure that everyone else had a good corner on the doctrine. So they would torture them until they spoke the right doctrine and then kill them so they wouldn't change their mind. And they did that in the name of Jesus. Because they were doing their job of making sure that people believed the right things. I just, I just want to say that it is a major, major problem in our world when we think that what religion is is a set of academic principles that are unrelated to a living, dynamic relationship with God. That crushes faith because we are told in James what true religion actually is. And what is the practice of true religion? Care for orphans and widows. It's very, very practical. It's Jesus' kingdom of God stuff. 
It's the stuff he teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the stuff that he teaches all throughout that says, if you know me and if you follow me, it will end up looking like this because you will be changed. Your heart will be transformed and you'll be entering into my life and in my kingdom and it will look like this. And so when I'm studying the truth and when I'm trying to learn the truth, it's not just so that I can say I know the right stuff so I can feel okay. It all comes down to one basic effort. I want to know God. All my doctrine is, who is God? I want to know him. I want to know everything about him. And I want to know him experientially as I do what he tells me to do and test that out. I want to know him in my heart as I experience him and my heart swells in prayer and in worship. But I want to know him in my mind by studying him and saying, who is this God? Who is he? The fruit of our doctrine is dependent on one thing. Whether or not it works or not is dependent on one thing, which is our submission to it. I can know it. The question is, do I truly submit to it? I can know truths about God, but unless I'm actually engaging God, submitting to God, submitting to his kingdom, and following his way, then it won't bear the fruit in my life. Our family right now, I um, am slow to admit this, we are looking at puppies right now. I have been anti-puppy for a long, long time. And they have been pro-puppy. And when I say they, that means everyone in our household except for me has been very pro-puppy for a long time. And uh, we have this thing in our home that if you've been around for a while, you know that we do, is that we throw out the gauntlet for our kids if they can memorize Uh, a certain amount of scripture, they always get awards. But the problem with that was we bribe them to get them to memorize scripture because I think it's worth it. Because if they get their heads filled up with that truth, I think it's going to help frame their minds in the long haul. But I got to figure out how to do that in a way that's not just brutal, just beating it into them, you know, so that there's there's some joy in it in the long run. And so we bribe them all the time. It was like Nintendo DS at first. It was like iTouches, like all these electronics and stuff like that. And the game kept going up, you know, and the game kept going up. So what's it get to now? A puppy. Like, if they both got it, they get the puppy. Now, if I told you, I don't want to brag on my kids, so I'm not going to tell you how, like, but they know more scripture than I do, I'll say that. Like, it is crazy how much scripture they know, because they want a puppy bad, you know? And, um... And I'm getting what I want is the word of God in their heart. So then I got to give what I don't want to give, which is, but the, the whole point of that was what? Um, the point is that, is that I have done a fair amount of research on puppies at this point and on dogs because of the fact that I know in our home, I'm like, I got to find the right kind of puppy that's going to work for our family and all this. And that's, none of that's going to turn out the way I would hope. Um, and, but I, I've done a fair amount of research you know, and, but knowing things about dogs or how to train dogs or different kinds of breeds of dogs or whatever, that means absolutely nothing unless at the end somebody's sitting there petting a little puppy and getting to know this little thing, right? The whole point is that the family's having a relationship with this pet. 
That's the point. Knowing stuff about dogs is only for the purpose of the feeling that they have and the experience that they're having, hopefully the responsibility that they're learning <laughs> and all of that, right? Those are, the, those are the things that actually matter when the puppy hits the ground in the home and that there's a, this thing's growing. And, and, and then we're learning in real time a whole lot more because now we know not just academically about puppies, we're actually experiencing the puppy. And of course, in our relationship with God, that's in reverse order because it's not um, us trying to figure out how to take care of this little thing in our life, this religious part of our life to get it right so we can check the box. It's actually we're the puppy coming into the house of God and we're trying to learn about our master and learn how to submit appropriately so that life is the way it was meant to be and it all works for us. And our doctrine is beginning to understand, oh, when I go over here, it doesn't work out well for me. And so when I go over here, it works out better for me. Oh, I'm learning. Why? Oh, when his face looks like that, he wants this. When her, when she says these words, this is, oh, I'm learning. And the best way to learn is since we can actually read, many of us, then we are given this awesome thing called the Bible where he actually gives us a total autobiography of himself through the pages of history to help us understand how he works with his people so we can understand who he is. And the more we understand that, the more we understand who he is, the more we understand how we fit, the more we understand the whole story. And that's the point of our doctrine. But at the end, it doesn't actually matter unless we engage in the relationship with the Father. And that's when it becomes holistic, full, practical doctrine where Paul and, and Jesus make sense together where the whole picture is there. Our relationship with God is not based in any way, truly, our, our entrance, I should say, the foundation of our relationship with God is not based on us getting the right answers at all. And I, I think that's just really important for us to hear. Because much of our evangelism and much of our pursuit is to try to get people to understand the right points of doctrine so they can quote the right thing because if they do, then they become Christian. If they can ascribe to this creed or to this statement of faith or to this gospel plan, then they're becoming a Christian. But what a Christian is, is a follower of Jesus. And what it means is, is evangelism is inviting people into a living, dynamic relationship with God. And if I can get to the point where they can say the right things, it doesn't mean that they get into heaven. What I'm actually doing in evangelism is introducing them to God of the universe and his plan, you know, and his life, and showing them how to step in to this beautiful relationship. Ancillary result. Yes, eternity with him in heaven. But there will not be a pearly gate where God is checking our doctrine to see if we get in. That's not the way it works. The way it works is, is if we want a relationship with God, we need to know who he is and we need to learn about him so we can begin to enter in. The gospel is entrance, but that is based on who he is, not on what we know. That requires an amen. That part right there. It is based on who he is, not on what we know. Okay? And when we begin to know who he is, we begin to enter into relationship with him. 
because we're knowing him. We're knowing him cerebrally, and then we trust him, so we're knowing him experientially, and then our hearts begin to swell, and, we know, and, and it becomes this cycle. And so what happens is, is our hands and our hearts and our minds and our souls, they're all connected, which is why when Jesus says the greatest commandment isn't just to love the Lord your God with all your heart or with all your mind or with all your soul or with all your strength, that he says all of them because we can't love him with one part without also loving, loving him with the other parts. It takes submission to it. Um, and so uh, I'll just say that getting our heads right, if we are followers of Christ, it will be, like if I'm truly following Christ, not just trying to get the religion right so I can feel good, but if my heart is toward God and I'm pursuing God, then inevitably, I'm going to try to get my mind to understand him. A true follower of Christ has to be studying. Because if I'm not studying who God is, then I'm actually not following him. My mind is doing other things. It's not following him. Studying is part of the way that I'm pursuing God. So I'm obsessed with who God is. Right? And that's, that's the growing part of a follower of Christ. Is I'm obsessed with understanding him, knowing him experiencing him. And so in the process, our minds begin to be shaped by the scripture and we have to get to a place where we think right about God in order to relate right to God. Because if I have the wrong ideas about who God is, then this relationship I'm experiencing, it's not with the real God. It's, some, it's with some false picture of God that I have. And so I'm learning about God so I can more fully relate to him. When um, Jen and I, if you've been around for a long time, you, you've heard me talk about um, my relationship with Jen before in the early days of our relationship, and it did not work out in the first uh, few years of our life. We dated for four years before we got married, and uh, everyone in my life was asking me what was wrong with me. Um, and my main question was, what was wrong with her? Why was she actually in a relationship with me? That didn't make any sense. And then I'll have a couple people say amen. And uh, there was this, the, the real problem in our relationship had to do with the fact that I wasn't thinking right. And I wasn't happy in my life. I really wasn't. And I had, this, I had this place in my mind and in my heart that I thought a spouse could fill. But it was, it was the wrong place. My, it wasn't just that I was thinking wrong about Jen. And it wasn't just that I was thinking wrong about me. It was that I had, the, I had my categories messed up. I didn't even have things categorized right in my life. Like I thought that this part of me that wasn't whole should be filled by this position over here called spouse by girl, woman, <laughs> woman, fill this hole, you know? And that's kind of like the way that I thought it worked, but my definitions were wrong. And God had to redefine for me that this thing that was in my heart wasn't shaped for Jen, it was shaped for him. And until I got that figured out, this thing was never going to work because the math didn't add up right, because my brain wasn't right. And this is what I learned, and I was, I was laughing about this. I'm going to give you a little foretaste of Elliot coming to preach on the fifth. This is what came to me as I was thinking about this. You've got to think right to sink right, okay? So you've got to think right if you're going to sink right. And so this, where is it? Right here. This thing right here, this has a, a hole in the bottom of it, okay? And you put a cable in that hole. That, that's called a lightning connector. There used to be an old iPhone that was like a year and a half ago, so it's like ancient. And it had a different kind of connector on the bottom of it. And if I try to use that connector to connect this to my computer, it won't work. It won't sync. 
because it's not the right, it's not the right part. It's not the right cable. You've got to actually think right about things in order to sync right with things. And in my relationship with Jen, if I'm not thinking right, we're not going to sync right. And when it comes to us in the body of Christ, if we don't think right about our own selves and about the Lord, then we can't sync together okay. But more importantly, if I don't think right about who God is, then I can't sync with God, which is why when I'm feeling that stuff that God's up there and he's like driving home because I'm struggling with this thing still, then he and I aren't going to connect well because there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And until I get my mind wrapped around that and think right, then we're not going to sync right. I'm still going to be trying to self-justify while God's just sitting there waiting to hang out. But I'm not receiving his forgiveness. I'm not acknowledging who he is as a gracious God. Or if I have no picture of God's holiness and I'm sitting here living however I want to live with no regard for it because I'm not submitting to the principles of the kingdom of God and I'm expecting to have a thriving, dynamic relationship with God, but I'm not submitting to God's plan for my life at all, then I'm not thinking right. Because what I need to think is God's good and these rules that he has in the kingdom, they're not there to restrict me. They're there so that I can have life and life abundantly. And until I get that through my head, then I won't hunger and thirst for righteousness. And until I do, there will be a tension in my life. I got to think right in order to sink right. Does that make sense? Let's say it together. I got to think right in order to sink right. There you go. You'll get more of that in a couple of weeks, I bet. All right. So, um, we're, as a family right now, um, there was something that was, that a friend of ours uh, put something in front of us and asked us to kind of think it through about something that uh, our friend asked us to engage in as a family. And we've been, like, really struggling because the, 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 this thing, and I'm not going to get into it, not because there's, it's any real big deal to you guys or anything, um, but just because it's still kind of personal for us and we're, we're trying to process. But, um, but it, it requires risk and it requires sacrifice for us. And you know, like if the Lord asks you to, like if you're asked to financially invest something significant, to give significantly, or to put a lot of time into something, or to use your talent in a way that's uncomfortable, or to get into an environment where you're like on stage and don't like it, or anytime that God calls you into something, then there's this, there's this thing about like, you know? And in those moments where it's high stakes, we actually have to ask the Lord, I need to know that this is you. And that's why Moses says, God, don't, I'm not going unless you promise me that you're going with me. And we're thinking through some, some stuff right now as a family about like, Lord, are you actually calling us into this thing? Hear this, is it this challenge to us? But are you calling us into that? And, the, and, and one of the beautiful moments for me in soul searching when I read the scripture is that, you know, I read things all the time where I like read Jesus saying stuff that just seems so crazy, like sell everything you have and give it to the poor or, you know, whatever his statements are. And in those moments, you hold up the word of God and you look at it like a mirror and you say, does my life look like that? And there's no sense in trying to do like behavioral modification in my life in order to impress God. None of that. I just mean like, if this is the way that God has that sets me free, am I submitting to that yet? 
And that tension is a really good tension in our life where our doctrine, understanding the truth of the life in the kingdom of God should speak profoundly to us in such a way that says, I can know God in my head, but unless I submit to that with my life, then I will not experience the joy of what that doctrine actually leads me to, which is the dynamic, faith-filled relationship that a follower of Jesus actually gets to have. And that's why last week when everybody was falling away from Jesus, when he told them to eat the flesh and drink the blood, he looks over at the 12 apostles and he says, how about you guys? You guys going to leave? And they said, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. And they submit their life to continuing to follow him, even though he doesn't make sense. And so the challenge for us as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as members of Christ's body in, in this moment right now is to think, to think in line with who God is by reading his word together and processing together. The community is to help one another see the full counsel of scripture. And we know that everything that happens in our life is not just simply this like, okay, I believe this doctrine and I'm trying to do this thing. That there is a spiritual battle that is waging war to mess with my head. That there are messages I'm receiving all the time that try to get me to think in ways that don't assume that God is with me that God loves me, that God's leading me, and that God's good. And I want to read you a list of scriptures as we're closing out here. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy our Arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God. Take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times, and to that end, keep alert. That's good stuff. We don't have a big doctrinal statement at Parker Ford Church. And we may form a little bit more of that. But there are a few basic concepts that we hold to that we think get at the very core of protecting the knowledge of God. We believe in a triune God whose nature is one. And that all who reflect his image will live as one. Whose character is love. And that his people reflect his love. We believe in the authoritative word of God that this tells us who he is, that it tells us who, who we are, and it tells us how to live life and how to relate to him. We believe in the atoning death of God 
that God himself sent his son to die on our behalf so we can enter into a living dynamic relationship with him. We believe in the life-giving resurrection of Jesus, that he actually physically conquered death and he rose in the flesh and that someday it won't be just our spirits that will rise, our bodies will rise as we come up from the grave and walk on a new earth with him as he returns to us and embodies and fulfills his greatest commandment that we will live in love with him and with one another and that in the meantime he has called us to a mission which is to invite others into that living dynamic relationship with him in the great commission and we believe that that commandment to love and that commission to tell others about it all starts with one basic thing which is the central practice of the Christian faith and has been for 2,000 years at the birth of the church in the upper room and should be happening every morning and it starts with this one basic thing the foundation of love the foundation of relating to him the foundation of drawing others in it starts with this little thing called prayer and that when we pray and when we submit ourselves to him and communicate to him that the transforming work of God changes me it changes us and it changes our world all because of who God is let's love him with our minds as followers of Jesus as the band comes forward we're going to pray. Thanks. Father God, we thank you. You are good. And uh, I know that there are moments when I feel your goodness so much, and it's awesome. And there are other moments where I do not feel your goodness at all. And there are all sorts of messages in our world that lie to us constantly. And we want to get depressed about circumstances. And we don't have the fruit of the Spirit in our life because we're distracted by the lies of the enemy in our heart. There are moments where, like, you know, there's the frustration of friends and we're talking and we're, we're getting discouraged or we're getting angry because we feel that we are unjustly treated and all of that, you know. And, and there's all that stuff that can happen where the enemy is messing with our head. And I just want to say, God, that if I am not embodied the fruit of the spirit that is not someone else's fault and that is not your fault that is the fact that my head is not thinking right because I have a relationship with the God of the universe who is very just who is very loving who is very present and who is very powerful and I can trust you and if I'm not okay it's not because you're not okay and it's not because they're not okay it's because my mind is not okay right now and so, Father God, we just invite you to continue that process of washing our minds, God, of brainwashing us in the water of the word. That you say that husbands love their wives as Christ loves the church, doing everything within his power to present her holy and blameless to himself, washing her in the water of the word. And so, God, we ask that you would wash our minds in the water of your word. Please, God, continue to get us to think right so we can sink right. In the name of Jesus. Amen.